Hello and welcome, friends, to another edition of Sustainability Now here on Forward Radio. We are your community radio station broadcasting from the top of the historic Hayburn Building in downtown Louisville here at 4th and Broadway at 106.5 FM. Or you might be listening to us online at forwardradio.org, where you can not only hear our live stream, but catch the archive versions, the podcasts of all of our local programming at forwardradio.org. And hey, while you're there, please become a part of our community radio station. It is for the people, by the people, and you, my friends, are the people. We want your voices behind these microphones. We want your intelligence and your enthusiasm behind the scenes, volunteering with us. Click participate and you can become a part of the station. And while you're there, chip in a few bucks to help keep us on the air. It only costs $20 a day for this amazing community resource. So maybe you could sponsor an entire day's broadcast today at forwardradio.org. Well, it is wonderful for me to be back in the studio after a a couple weeks away vacationing out west, uh, and I'm excited to be speaking with a national figure today. Often I get locals on this show, but I'm really excited to have be featuring another author on my show, and her name is Stephanie Miller, founder of Zero Waste in D.C., author of a brand new book uh, that you can learn more about if you stay tuned with us today, all about zero waste living. And uh, she is joining us in the virtual studio from DC today. Welcome, Stephanie, to the program. Thank you so much, Justin. It's great to great to be with you. Yes, it, it's wonderful to be with you too. Uh, Stephanie's a former director of climate business at the International Finance Corporation, which is a the private sector arm of the World Bank. So, touching a little bit on my background before I got into sustainability and higher ed, uh, doing international sustainable development work. Maybe we'll even get to talk about that. But the theme for today is certainly zero waste living and the new book that's out. Uh, and, and Stephanie, can I just start with a little personal story, if that would be okay? Yeah, absolutely. So, so I actually grew up in D.C. Um, I, I lived in Arlington, Virginia, which is the rest of the square on the other side of the Potomac River yeah. that <laughs> makes up the District of Columbia. Uh, and my parents still live there. So I went to high school in D.C. And it was around 1990, as a budding environmentalist, that I just thought it was ridiculous that there was no curbside recycling in my city. <laughs> and so me and my high school wow. friends went flying around the neighborhood and say, hey, folks, put your recyclables out on the curb on Wednesday. We're going to come by and pick it up and take it to the recycling center and people loved it right and we got such great buy-in and people started giving us cash tips and all this stuff wow. it was a great little student recyclers of arlington project that i did in high school so that sort of began my journey in zero waste in dc but tell me about yours are you a dc native or what tell me about this zero waste in dc organization well, first of all, that is so cool that you did that. Yeah. And I'm dying to ask you, when did they finally introduce recycling where you didn't have to do all the work? Oh, wow. Um, it, it must not have been too long after that, actually. You know, we, we take credit for it, right? The high schoolers uh, go to the city into doing it. But actually, Arlington is like one of the richest per capita cities in the nation. So it's kind of ridiculous that it took until the mid-90s uh, for the, the city to start collecting curbside recycling. But that shows a little bit of like how far we've come. Um, right now, it's it's an expectation pretty much wherever you live in the U.S. that there's going to be curbside recycling in an urban setting anyway. 
Well, you'll be thrilled to know that in your old town, they are the front runners uh, in this area on composting. They yes. in September they're introducing residential composting. That is so, so I, exciting. I, it's making me think I should move to Arlington. <laughs> I'm actually physically in Washington D.C., but I'm I'm not from D.C. I kind of grew up all over the place. Spent a bit of time in the Midwest in Europe. Um, my fiance is from Murray, Kentucky, so he oh, was nice. training me on how to say. Louisville, which I, which I, he said is, I'm not saying it right, no, but you're anyway, not. <laughs> I'll keep practicing. I just started practicing today. But my story on sustainability, I'd like to think that I'm a longtime conservationist, probably about the same time, high school, even before that. I used to, my grandmother used to collect trash, plastic, whatever she'd see yeah. in the neighborhood. And so I, I sort of got the bug about then. I, I had various jobs that were conservation related right out of college. But here's the thing. I was actually, when I was at the private sector part of the World Bank, the peak of my career, I was leading the climate change agenda for the institution. So it was my job to help governments and private sector get on a more sustainable path. Oh, That's wow. what I was doing. It was great. It was heady stuff. But I would come home at night exhausted, paralyzed, and I had this really uncomfortable feeling that there was stuff I knew I should be doing. I had a pretty good sense of some things I should be doing. Mm. I knew I couldn't really stop flying for my job. I couldn't say, no, I'm not going to meet the client across the globe. So I had what I realized later is a lot of people's issue, which is, well, what, what difference am I going to make? And I can't stop doing this. So what if I do that? Mm, That's yep. just not a, it's a drop in the bucket. Right. And it wasn't until I quit my job after a 25 year career at the uh, private sector part of the World Bank, that I started delving into what I could do at the personal level to reduce my carbon and my uh, waste footprint. And that's how it all started. And I can tell you my first foray into it, but I will say, I wish I knew now what I knew. <laughs> I mean, I wish I knew then what I know now, because, oh my God, it's so easy. You know, it's yeah. not rocket science at all. Yeah. Well, there's so many, when we look back on our lives, there's so many things we wish we knew. And for, so tying back to my story about starting curbside recycling in Arlington, boy, how I wish I had understood at the time how much more important management of organic waste is than our bottles and cans, which is what, you know, everybody focuses on when they think about waste. But truly, if we want to make the biggest climate impact, what we have to do is keep our organic waste, our food scraps, our yard waste out of the landfill because they're going to be in an anaerobic environment and create methane, super, super heat our globe as quickly as possible, right? And it's it's such a waste of a great local resource that now that I'm a gardener and really <laughs> understand an urban farming context, how important healthy soil is, I know how important that organic matter is for building soils, even in a place like Arlington, which I remember poking around in the backyard as a kid. It's very rocky soil there yeah. where I live. So actually building up the organic matter in the soil would have been great for a garden, but I wasn't a gardener at that age. So yes, we we continue to learn more and understand more. Um, so t tell us about what Zero Waste in DC is doing. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, basically when I started that journey, I realized that, well, first of all, I researched everything I could. I visited all the recycling facilities in the region. I stumbled on a lot of great research, including, by the way, learning about the importance of composting, as uh, you were yeah. just talking about. But I, I realized that when I went back to work, because I, I left that career and I knew I'd be going back to work full time. 
I took a gap year to spend a bit of time with my son before he headed to college. And I realized that if you try to do everything, you sometimes end up doing nothing. And so I decided before I was going to head back to work, I was going to try to nail those things that I knew I could do once I was busy again. So I looked for those things. I call it the magic three, three areas that meet that intersection for me of easiness and impactfulness, right? So if they met those two criteria, they were in my realm. And I now talk about those things all the time. And they're around three themes, food, focus on food, which includes composting. Yes, yes. And so much waste. (laughs) And so much waste. We'll talk about it more. Yeah. Purging plastics is the second one. And recycling, even though you're right, what you just said about, you know, we can't basically recycle our way out of the waste problem. Mm. But here's what I love about recycling, even though it's last on everybody's list, including my own, you know, it's reduce, reuse, recycle for a reason in that hierarchy. But many of us never composted, for example, in our lives before. We, we should definitely talk. That's my favorite subject, composting now. But everyone, almost everyone I know, at least in this region, and I, I presume where you are, recycles, right? There's a residential recycling facility in more than half of the U.S. And that means that everyone is thinking about recycling, if not every day, then every week when they bring it out to their curb. So to me, that's a phenomenal opportunity, right? Because if you're anyway touching the stuff, Putting, making a decision about where to sort it, that's an entryway into people's daily thinking about right. what they could be doing. And so I like to think of recycling as not the solution to our waste problem. It is a solution that we need to, you know, we do need to get it right. We save a huge amount of resources if we don't have to mine those metals from scratch. 95% of energy saved when you use an aluminum can that's recycled versus from scratch. So huge resource savings. But it's also, a, I think, a gateway into, well, how could, I, besides getting it right, what could I be doing that reduces the stuff I'm putting in those piles? Absolutely. That's what I love about it. Yeah, I think when I'm talking to folks about what sustainability means and, and how to conceptualize it, because you're right, like when you try to do everything, you, you do nothing. Like it's this very complex topic. But for me, I think it's being conscious of and thinking about systems and flows of materials and energy. And so when you're participating intentionally in the material flow and your life, which is basically trying to get towards zero waste is what I'm saying, uh, that gets you thinking about the full spectrum of sustainability and, like you say, the gateway drug to it. Yeah. So I I always do this. I dive deep into the issues before even fully setting the table. (laughs) So if I could just pause right now. We seem to have that in common. I know. (laughs) Pause right now and ask you to just give our listeners a definition of what you mean by zero waste. Maybe they're not familiar with this concept. Yeah. And thank you for backing up and asking that because zero waste can mean different things. But I think when we talk, when I talk about zero waste living, I'm talking about what can be done at the individual level. And it's really simple. It's just about what can you do to reduce what ends up going into the landfill, the incinerators, and it's sometimes that waste ends up in the oceans. Yeah. So there is, you know, the disappointing thing, and it took me a while to realize this, is there really is no such thing as zero waste, <laughs> right? Even even for those iconic authors who hold up their mason jars worth of trash for the year. Oh, my gosh. There was a lot of waste that went into even getting to that, right? You know, even if you shop in bulk, 
the, the grains, the lentils had to be transported somehow to the store. So there is no such thing as zero. I think we need to get over that. I almost wish we had another term, but it's a bit catchy. Um, so if we could just hold on to the term, but interpret it the way it has to be interpreted, which is getting part of the way there is huge. Oh, yeah. It is huge. And we, the individual at our household level, are not, again, we are not the be all end all solution. We need government, we need private sector, but it's a triumvirate, right? And I, what excites me is the potential for the individual to first reduce their own waste. And if they get the bug like I do, and you were just describing more and more understanding what that really means and what else they can do besides the obvious things like no longer buying water in plastic bottles. Oh, yes, or- please. Or bringing your own produce bags to the grocery store. Not We already bring our own, most of us bring our own grocery bags. We put them in the trunk of the car or our bicycle, whatever. So it's really easy to just throw some produce bags in there too, and then you avoid all. But anyway, I, I think what excites me about the individual's influence is we are such social animals. And when one person in our lives starts to do something a little different, if they dare, people notice, people in our family notice, but people on the street also notice. When I go into my grocery store and I'm using my own cotton produce bag to put the broccoli in, you know, I may feel a little weird if no one else around me is doing it, but people notice it and they you know, some of them may think I'm weird and some of them may say, oh, I never thought of that. And I've heard people actually say, I didn't know you could do that. (laughs) And when you start getting that ripple effect of socializing different behaviors, you know, the plastic straw ban, why are we suddenly all focused on plastic straws? Because, you know, yes, there's a campaign, but enough people said enough of these. And it's contagious. Now people all want to do the right thing around straws. So if we can just get people to do the right thing around a few other things, it's powerful. It's oh, really powerful. That resonates so much with my experience at the University of Louisville. You know, I, I live this as sustainable as possible lifestyle. I have a you know fully solar powered home, uh, grow all my own food, right? I'm car free, et cetera, et cetera. But if I want to really blow people's minds, I pull out my reusable plate and silverware at, at when they're giving out free pizza on campus, which is, you know, there's always free food on campus pre-COVID anyway, right? And and when I'm standing in that line and I've got my real plate, everybody, every time asks, where'd you get that plate? <laughs> you know? Yeah, you're an early adopter. And, you know, it takes bravery, I think, to show up in a social circle and do something that... Do something weird. I shouldn't use the word weird yeah, because yeah. I do the same thing, but... You know, that's unusual. But, you know, if three of you are doing it, then people are going to think, oh, I'm missing out on something, yeah. right? They've all got their plates. Where's my plate? That's so cool that you do that. <laughs> I'm speaking today with Stephanie Miller. She's founder of Zero Waste in D.C., joining me in the virtual studio from our nation's capital today. You can learn more about her work at zerowasteindc.com. And she also has a new book out that we're talking about today called Zero Waste Living. I'm so excited to have her today. You know, the other thing you said that really resonated 
resonated with me too, Stephanie, is about how, you know, you kind of wish there was another term besides zero waste because we're never going to get there. And that is something I'm always having to remind people about sustainability in general. It's not a place we arrive. It is a constant striving because the conditions in which we are trying to achieve sustainability are always evolving, right? The environment is always changing. The economy is always changing. The society is always evolving. And because of that, we can't just figure out how to do sustainability, implement it and walk away and be done, right? We have to constantly engage with with these resource flows and as well as social justice. And I don't know if we're going to have time to touch on that today, but I sure would love to hear some of your thoughts about how the zero waste push connects with our you know, growing consciousness about uh, social justice and, and racial inequity and environmental injustice in our nation. Yeah, it's such an important topic. And I, I will admit that I got more educated about it as I was writing my book last summer. And, you know, I, I almost wish if I'd written the book again, I would have focused even more on social justice because when we look at plastic, I will admit there, you know, there are five, six reasons I always give for why we should avoid plastic. Let me just go through them quickly. You know them, but it's a, it's a contribute fossil fuel based. Uh, 95% of plastic is made out of fossil fuel materials, and it is a growing contra- contributor to climate change emissions just in producing the plastic, mm-hmm. right? We know about the uh, oceans. Everyone's seen the images of plastic floating in the oceans and the five big islands, gyres of plastic. We've seen the, the plastic straw in the turtle. So there's there's a, an awareness about ecosystems, pollution, how that's harming ecosystems. So that's the second thing. Third is the actual, and this is where the social justice comes in, the actual production facilities, the ethane cracker plants, where they very highly, so that's a lot of climate change, a lot of energy goes into producing it, but also a lot of toxic pollutants get emitted in that process. I mention it in my book. I, I wish I'd put more emphasis on that because what I've learned since I the book was published is you've got these whole regions, and they're in the South, by the way, they're in the Southeast, these whole corridors of plastic factories, plastic ethane pollution facilities. Tied to and the workers are exposed to carcinogenic pollutants and the people who live in those communities. And guess what? They're not building those plastic facilities here in Arlington and D.C., right? So, you know, let's be real about it. We all want the convenience of plastic or we've been convinced that we want the convenience (laughs) of plastic, but it comes at a huge cost. And here's and so that's the social justice piece on plastic that I think is overlooked too much of the time. There is a new piece of legislation that is pending, the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act, which would go a huge way in a lot of important directions. But one of them is to put a halt to some of these new facilities. The EPA would not approve them until we know more about how hazardous they are. We have an inkling, but I don't think we've done enough The other piece of health, which affects all of us, by the way, so it's not social justice in that sense, is they're only now starting to analyze what the health effects are of microplastics in our bodies. We've found microplastics in placenta. We've found microplastics, you know, all over the ocean. There's plastic doesn't really go away. It just gets tinier and tinier and tinier. And it's we're drinking it in our water. 
we're drinking it in our beer. You know, you're on a college campus. We're, <laughs> we're, uh, we're breathing it through the air. And uh, I've seen a couple studies that show every week we ingest a credit card's worth of plastic <laughs> every single week. So, and not much we can do about it just because of it being so ubiquitous. So I think there's stuff we don't know. If I had to do it all over again, and I, so now I'm saying it all the time, if you have a choice in packaging, always favor something that's not plastic. Yes, metals are very energy intensive to mine, to transport, to process, to melt down and recycle even, but they're not plastic. So for social justice reasons, I avoid plastic at all costs. I don't succeed, by the way. I do not get to, you know, my book, This the other part of the title of my book is Zero Waste Living the 80-20 Way. It's this idea of you don't get to 100%, but let's aim for the 80%. Let's focus on the 20% most impactful things we can do to get 80% of the way towards mm. solving the problem mm. at the individual level. And to me, doing everything we can not to eliminate, but to avoid as much plastic as we can is worthwhile and, for all those reasons. And a material that is included, I'm sure, when you're saying that broad term plastic is styrofoam, right? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, styrofoam. I mean, D.C. passed a ban on styrofoam. Oh, I, that's great. I didn't know that. Yeah. Does it include shipping? Like when you, you know, go to Amazon.com and get a that's bunch a, of plastic. I, that's, I, I doubt it. <laughs> yeah, I, I was yeah. actually just speaking with someone from the city yesterday. There's so many loopholes. I think most small businesses, for example, we were ta- I was having this conversation about takeout containers. You know, that's become during the pandemic such an issue. More of us are, you know, not wanting, weren't willing to go out to restaurants to eat. So we were getting a lot of delivery and we just saw these mounds of additional takeout containers, not easily recyclable, yeah. especially that black plastic on the bottom. Yeah. So, yeah, it's very hard to control. I think that small business in most communities, as this legislation is getting passed, they want to do the right thing, not just because they're going to get fined, but because their customers value that as well. But, you know, it doesn't doesn't work 100 percent of the time. So I think the more we as consumers whose vote really counts every time we purchase (laughs) something, every time we go out to eat somewhere, if we're willing to say, hey, can I put the leftovers in my own container or could you not bring me the plastic straw that's banned in DC, but in Arlington, I'm not sure it is by the way. (laughs) Well, Stephanie, could you, you mentioned it briefly, but I'd love to dive a little more deeply into this central theme of your book about the 80, 20 rule. And especially like maybe some concrete examples of how I might apply that in my life. Yeah. So by the way, I don't have a prescription for how people should go about their zero waste lifestyle. So that's the first thing. When I say 80-20, I mean everybody should have their own 80-20. And it's going to look different if you're a single mom versus, you know, if you're in a challenging financial demographic, you know, it's going to look different for everyone. And uh, I tell a little funny story in my book about raspberries. My fiance claims that raspberries have medicinal benefits for him. And I made big strides with him on reducing the packaged cereal that he was buying. And I've gotten him to take these cotton produce bags into the store with him now. But he swears he must have raspberries every morning. So you know what? 80-20 for us is if we end up with those plastic clamshells from the raspberries in our recycle bin, that's fine. I can live with that. You know, those, (laughs) and that's not the only thing that's plastic in there, but you know, so it's, so I'll give you some examples. When you're talking about 
plastic and trying to avoid it. There are really easy things you can do. I think universally easy, like why do we need that liquid soap? Who told us and when? I want to know the year I started using liquid pump in soap in a plastic pump, you know, dispenser. When did that happen? You know, but it <laughs> it's it's everywhere now, right? So we can go back to bar soap that's limited packaging, packaged in cardboard, or I actually buy some bar soap at my farmer's market once a week or when I need it that has no packaging. I bring my own bag, I nice. put it in there. That's an easy one, right? There's nobody that can't do that. Um, the plastic water bottle, I will say, if you happen to live in a place in the U.S. that has good quality tap water. Like right here. Then, <laughs> yeah, and, and where I am too in D.C., then there's no reason why we shouldn't be just carrying around our own reusable uh, bottles. And I will say it took me a while to get used to that habit. Hmm. What I made myself do is not drink and be thirsty when I forgot to take it <laughs> with me to work. Yeah, yeah. It worked. I, and I, I trained myself to stop forgetting to bring my bottle. Um, so that's a really pretty easy switch as long as you have good quality water. Like I said, bringing the, your own bags, avoiding the grocery bags. That's an easy one, avoiding the produce bags. And then you've got more black belt things. And when I, when I, what I mean by that is, you know, those are the easy ones. Mm. You've got kind of the, the medium ones. The, the hard things to do are what we were talking about at the beginning. When you've got to be the early adopter, the mm. trendsetter, and ask for something where you might actually get the answer as no. <laughs> That's hard for people to do. When I go into my Chinese restaurant and the very first time I said, so not delivery, but pickup, could you put the Chinese food, instead of in the plastic containers, could you put it in these clean containers that I brought with me? She could have said no. And I, you know, I would have been kind of hurt or whatever. She didn't. And wow. now I always bring it there. And now I don't even have to ask. She just wow. knows, oh, it's Stephanie calling. So I'm going to, you know, she's going to bring her own containers. You know, my dry cleaning story was my first kind of foray into, that's another, what I would say, black belt thing. I didn't know, I wouldn't have called it a black belt thing at the time. <laughs> what is the, my dry cleaning story? Basically, every week, I'm a little embarrassed about this, I was, you know, working in women's suits, and yeah. I would, on Saturdays, go to my local dry cleaners, stuff I couldn't really wash, pick it up by the previous weeks, and it would come covered in that plastic packaging, Right. right? And for years, I, I knew enough to know, unfortunately, I did not know enough to know that does not did not belong in the recycle bin. I could have recycled it at the some of these take back programs at the grocery store. But I, I knew it was a lot of plastic and it was bad and I felt bad about it. And I kept meaning to do something. And the thing I kept meaning to do was to ask the dry cleaners, would you be willing next week to put my clean clothes into my own reusable garment bag instead of into the plastic packaging? And I don't know why I had to quit my job to get up the guts to ask that question, but it was about two weeks after I quit my job. I actually wasn't needing the dry cleaners anymore because I wasn't going to work, but my fiance needed it. So I was picking up his stuff and I said, could you put his stuff in this bag? And they said, yeah, sure, Stephanie, no problem. I've known these dry cleaners for 10 years. And I got them to adopt a reusable bag program. And now when nice. you walk in, instead of seeing a sea of plastic you see these dark green reusable bags with their logo on it, plus some of the plastic. 
this. About a third of their customers have adopted this. And I'm saying this because that's an example of 80-20. Is that something I would have recommended you do, you know, three years ago before I did it? Uh, you know, it, w- it would be risky. It would, you know, she could have said no, and that would have been hard. So those are the things that when I say 80-20, you know, do the easy things. And I truly believe, as we were talking about gateway drugs, I believe that when you start doing this stuff, you kind of get the itch to do more and more and more. When you see your recycle bin and your trash bin go down from full to not even halfway, you want to say to your, you want to ask, well, what else could I do? Could yeah. I, next week, could I make it just one bag? Could I get my recycle bin down to just where I could see the bottom? Is that possible? <laughs> so I sort of have these little games and I compete with myself. How low can I go in terms of my waste? Awesome. We're going low today with Stephanie Miller, founder of Zero Waste in D.C. You can learn more about her work at ZeroWasteNDC.com. And you can check out her new book, Zero Waste Living, that talks all about this 80-20 rule. Um, and, and you know, you've really designed your book and that story about the dry cleaning kind of hints at it for regular busy people right you this isn't designed for like back to the landers or you know folks who are like hardcore sustainable does. this is really for everybody right yes and it's especially for the kind of person i was which i believe many people are which is feeling like they're too busy yeah. to do what they think is the right thing right uh even when they so yeah i um I, 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 I have so many regrets that I spent so many years <laughs> not doing these things, but now I feel energized. I will say, you know, I read these really inspiring books when I was doing my research, like the the, the gurus that hold up that mason jars worth of trash, family yeah. of four, mason jar. I mean, that's, I never got to that in the year I took off. And I, you know, I started making my own household cleaner. I started, I started composting, which I, I we should talk about more because like, the yeah. joys of composting are it seems like infinite to me um but i was definitely not composting before but i you know i just um i don't i i would again i would not recommend that busy people make their own household cleaner it actually is super easy but you know just picking the things and i go through in the book the most impactful things you could do uh, you know, food. We 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 can talk about going vegetarian or going partial vegetarian. I'm not a vegetarian, but I have goals, and I'm a partial vegetarian. And I know with every meal choice I'm making, I am having a positive impact, uh, uh, meaning a, a a negative, whatever you want to go, the, a a uh, favorable impact yeah. on the planet by the choices I'm making. That's very powerful. Well, let's let's do talk about composting, uh, since it is really uh, foundational to getting a handle on our own personal carbon emissions and uh, in, in so many ways, reconnecting with natural systems and how things yeah. used to work and should work. Right. Uh, and and supporting our our local agriculture or growing of any kind. Um, and when we talk about busy people, uh, like th- th- what people want is curbside composting like some cities have, like my brother gets 
gets to do in Seattle, right? Uh, and you yeah. can, you can have that here in Louisville. First of all, yard waste is collected for curbside composting in Louisville, which is great. And we did ban plastic from that for many decades. People were able to put their yard waste in a plastic bag, which just ruined the whole system. But that finally yeah. has been banned after much pushback from people who didn't want to pay a few cents more for a paper bag, right? But anyway, you can also uh, now get curbside composting for your food scraps through the Louisville Compost Co-op, which if listeners don't know about, they can learn about this service, which is a cheap, affordable monthly fee, but it's at louisvillecompost.com. So that's sort of the the simplest way to do it. Just have a bucket that you keep in your kitchen that somebody else manages. But honestly, if you have a yard (laughs) or even a basement with a worm bin, um, managing your own organics, once you get the system set up and have the knowledge um, is actually super easy, right? Yeah, it, it, it's a, it's surprisingly easy. And I, I will tell you, I'm not a kind of a, I'm not a gardener. I'm not a DIY person. So a lot of this stuff felt like a stretch to me. Composting was in another world. I mean, composting <laughs> a few years ago, composting was what my friend Dawn and my friend Kath did because they're gardeners. So of course they compost, right? And then when I found out what you already mentioned, the huge impact that landfill waste has through release of methane, because of the uh, largely because of the organic waste that ends up in landfills, and methane so much more powerful than CO2, I was like, okay, I've got to, I've got to nail this, I've got to figure it out. So I did not move to a compost bin in my own backyard right away. What I did initially, it sounds like something you have in to try to say it right, Louisville. <laughs> I love that. Right. Yeah, um, is I, I I found out there was a service that for a fee every week would just what you were describing would pick up my bucket of compostables. That felt so great. I was like, yes, I I care enough that I'm willing to pay a small fee every week to have someone do this. That was great. I could have done that forever and been happy. Uh, Then I also found out that in Washington, D.C., and I don't know if it's true um, in areas in Kentucky, there are drop the city, although it's not doing residential uh, pickup programs yet. They are offering drop off at different in each ward in D.C. There's a drop off site, usually at a farmer's market where you could take those that week's worth of compostables and drop them off there. We, we I'll, I'll just inform listeners, the city doesn't provide that, but the University of Louisville does and has since July of 2010. Uh, not there's no big budget behind this. It's not super well known, but uh, if you, you want to learn more about how to drop off your compost, you can go to louisville.edu slash sustainability. Check out our composting page for more information about that. But please continue, Stephanie. No, that's awesome. Uh, so then what happened is those gardening friends decided they really needed me to walk the talk. So they built me out of old used wooden pallets. Yeah. They built me a compost bin for my backyard. And that's what I use now. And it's great. It's, as you said, it's, it's knowledge, but it's not a lot of knowledge. It's, you know, <laughs> it's just knowing the approximate combination of the, as they say, the greens and the browns, the, the food to the, you know, leaves ratio. Stuff, which is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it depends who you talk to. They'll tell you different ratios. I'm not very scientific about it. I have a bunch of, I have a pile of leaves. And every time I yep. throw some bucket of food, I put about double the amount of leaves in there. Or shredded and it's paper well. or cardboard. I, yeah, lots of things. I mean, things like egg, things I had no idea were compostable. Egg cartons, yeah. Coffee grounds, egg cartons, egg shells, hair, human hair, 
um, it all breaks down and it creates this glorious looking, you know, fer fertilizer soil, organic matter that eventually I will use in the tiny gardening area that I have. But it's just, it feels so good to be keeping that out of the landfill. And I'll just tell you one other composting story. I had to travel unexpectedly in February to help out a relative. And I was in Phoenix, Arizona. By now, by then, I was, oh, I, it was, I could not bear the thought of sending, I was staying in a residence and I couldn't bear the thought of my compostables not being composted. <laughs> so I found, you know, there's a an app called Share Waste, which I think exists across the whole country. And it's a little bit like online dating, like a Tinder thing huh. where it, they match people's, who, people who are collecting compost with people who want to drop off their compost. Oh my gosh. And you go, you find, in this case, I was a giver and I found a receiver near my hotel. I drove over, dumped my, you know, 10 days worth of vegetable scraps, I felt so good. So once you get the bug for this thing, I think, you know, if you're like me and I'm still not a gardener, you will continue doing it. That's great. You know, the other thing that composting at home does is it gets you back in touch with nature again, like that, that sort of daily or how, depending on how yeah. much organics you produce, maybe it's weekly process of just going out and throwing open the lid of the compost bin or looking in your pile. Uh, you will see all kinds of creatures and they're creatures that you otherwise wouldn't interact with unless maybe you're a gardener. Right. Uh, and these are the <laughs> creatures that sustain us. I always love to give a shout out for the detritivores because if our were, if our soils had no life in them, right? Uh, we would yeah. be constantly swimming in a deeper and deeper ocean of our own waste. <laughs> so yes. thank yes, goodness yes. for the work that they do. Yeah. You know, do you mind if I just talk about food waste prevention for a second? Yes, let's do that. That's really important. Yeah. So, so I, you know, I think of, I mean, composting is like the recycling of food, right? It's, it is recycling of food into this great organic matter that can be uh, put to such good use. But you know, it's still, we, we, we need to have the goal, just like with the recycle bin of reducing the packaging that we're putting in there as much as we can and reducing the food waste as much as we can, because it still does produce uh, CO2 in that process of rotting. So I, I like to, I have been really uh, excited about the ways in which we can reduce food at home. And I think so many of us Again, we're, during the pandemic, we got used to staying home more. Yep. We got used to a lot of us, not all of us, but many of us cooking more at home. So we had more food we were bringing into the house. And that's a, you know, a, a bad thing in that a lot of us are really bad about using the food we buy. But it's a good thing in that because we're spending more time with the food at home, it's an opportunity to figure it out, yeah. the food waste dilemma. And so I like I, I tried this trick at because I was home every day, I could do this at first. Now it's like clockwork. I spend two minutes every morning looking in the fridge and doing what I call a daily fridge review. The goal of which is to move forward. You know, we've all got those invisible dead zones in the fridge where we may not see <laughs> things for weeks, you know, and they grow lots of, they grow into things we, we wouldn't recognize. We wouldn't know what the original thing was. That kimchi so my, in the back corner, yes. <laughs> yeah. So my goal with the daily fridge review is to bring forward anything that is 
you know, maybe we had it two nights ago for dinner and mm. we didn't, it was leftovers. We didn't use the whole thing. Bring it forward. I actually have a shelf I label, eat me first. <laughs> and then everyone in the house knows because nobody else does the fridge review except me. Everyone knows if they want a snack or if they want a little meal, go to that. And really important is to try to store things in transparent containers. Yes, you can you don't have to buy difference. them. Use glass jars, reuse glass jars. And then if you see it, you actually are more likely to do something with it. Mm. Then you can make sure you've got a leftovers night built into your weekly plans. You can have some great meals made from leftovers. But that daily act was a commitment at first. And like any new habit, you know, it took a little while. But now because I do it every day, it really only takes two minutes. And we cut down. I mean, my partner noticed right away. He said, where's the trash? Yeah. We don't have any trash this week. It's hardly <laughs> because when you eliminate all the food from the trash, yeah. it really is not a lot of stuff. Yeah. And I'll tell you, if if you ever get to the point of growing your own food, you will also value the food so much more, right? When you yes. when you understand what it takes to produce this stuff, you you wouldn't dream of throwing out an apple because there might be a worm in it. You would just cut it out, right? Uh, yeah. These kinds of things are I'm really getting into, but um, uh, it, you don't have to grow your own food to make a big difference here, right? That's the messaging, and and the, it ties into other aspects of your life too. Like if you're car free, if you go to the grocery store without your giant vehicle you will not bring home all kinds of stuff you don't need <laughs> you will really think more carefully about what you bring home so it, it, it all of these sustainable habits i think reinforce one another and really build upon each other so you don't have to think about this as like oh i got to do this thing and then i got to do this thing on top of it they actually are going to they're going to reinforce each other and and help us shoot towards that goal we're never going to get to of sustainability uh, we are nearing the end of our time together it has just flown by. Uh, there's so much to talk about in the world of zero waste. But as we wrap up, I just want to put myself in the heads of most of our listeners right now. It is back to school time here in Louisville. Public schools uh, here in Jefferson County start on Wednesday. My goodness. And so wow. I wonder if we could end with just a few thoughts on going zero waste at back to school time or as kids are returning to college. What would be your thoughts or, or tips for, for how to make this school year a little less wasteful? That is such a great question. And it is actually pretty easy. I mean, I used to pack my son's lunches, right? I'd put them in little Ziploc, the sandwiches in little Ziploc bags. If you get yourself one container, unless you, you're using the cafeteria, hopefully they're not using plastic. But, you know, if you get yourself or your kid one of those stainless steel or e even just plastic container and you put the food in there instead, it will fit in the lunchbox also. Chances are you'll think more about some of the healthier things that you can add to the lunch. And obviously, if we're, if we're talking about healthy and we're talking about zero waste, anything we can do to eliminate packaged fast food is good. It's good for our kids and it's good for the planet. So it's worth spending a little bit of time the night before or a couple days before when you're at the grocery store trying to figure out what you can put in that won't be packaged, won't be chips. And, and there are a lot of choices. The other thing I will just repeat is if there's a possibility of sending the kid to school with their own cool, you know, when I was young, it was how cool is your lunchbox? Oh, totally. You know, I was how cool can your 
stainless steel reusable bottle be? I, I know stickers. a teenager who's got really cool stickers all over hers. You know, if we make that a really good habit with our kids, I think we'll be going a long way toward reducing plastic. That's great. Well, thank you so much for sharing those thoughts and for inspiring us all to pursue zero waste living. It's the name of her new book. Uh, I've been joined here on Sustainability Now by Stephanie Miller, founder of Zero Waste in DC. Again, if you want to learn more, you can go to zerowasteindc.com. She also mentioned this awesome app, the Share Waste app, which I just learned about today from you. So you can learn more about that at sharewaste.com. And again, if you want to learn more about uh, getting your own curbside food waste composting going, you can go to louisvillecompost.com. Stephanie, what a treat this was. Thank you so much for taking the time for joining me today. Thank you so much. It was a treat for me. And it's great what you guys are doing um, in, oh, I'm going to try one more time, in Louisville. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll get it. Just swallow it more. That's the game. Louisville. 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 There you go. I got it. <laughs> great. We'd love to have you here in Louisville anytime. Uh, and, thank and, you so and much. Thank you so much for taking the time. Stay tuned, everybody. Coming up in just a second, your community action calendar with all kinds of ideas for how to get engaged in sustainability this week right here in Louisville. So stay tuned, my friends. While the sun shines bright on my whole Kentucky home Tis summer and the people are gay And the corn tops rise while the meadows are in bloom Them birds are making music all the day Said weep no more we are back here on Sustainability Now, listening to the sweet sounds of Appalachian. So much thanks to them for giving us permission to use their great local music in the podcast versions of our programs that you can find online at forwardradio.org. And if you want to learn more about them, go to appalatin.com. This is Community Radio, radio for the people, by the people. My name is Justin Mogg, and it's the time on our program when we get our pencils sharpened and our calendars out and get ready for action for sustainability this week. So much going on to get engaged. It is that time of year the gardens are in abundance. It is the time, my friends, to start thinking about saving seeds. Why, how, and all you need to know about Saving Seeds 101. This class is happening on Tuesday the 10th in the evening from 6 to 8 p.m. online, and it's being offered by the nonprofit Organic Growers School, the premier provider of practical and affordable organic education in the Southern Appalachians for 28 years. Knowing how to save our own seed is an important and fun skill that anyone can learn how to do and make part of one's current gardening plans. Seed saving is an accessible craft that can actually make you a better gardener by helping you understand the full life cycle of plants and botany. So learn how, why, and when to save seeds with a focus on harvesting and processing for viability, good germination, and storage. This class will include demonstrations on low-tech seed processing methods. Your instructor, Angie Lavezzo, has been gardening for almost 30 years and has been saving seeds for about half of that time. Her time is spent on her 
her 13-acre farm in the lovely Hominy Valley area of Western North Carolina. Sounds great. You'll want to meet her this Tuesday, 6 to 8 p.m. online. For more information and registration, simply go to organicgrowersschool.org. That's all one word, organicgrowersschool.org. And uh, look under events for seed saving. Also on Tuesday at 7 p.m. on Zoom, it's Louisville showing up for Racial Justice's monthly meeting. You can join Louisville Surge for their monthly meeting. From 7 to 7.30, they welcome new folks and go over the basics of what it means to fight racism in our community. Join before the meeting if you want to learn more about LSurge. Then from 7.30 to 8.30, they choose a topic to explore further. For the next few meetings, they're going to be focusing on strategic campaigns and actions. Feel free to join either at 7 or 7.30 on Tuesday the 10th. You can register at bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash L-Surge meeting. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash L-S-U-R-J meeting. And you can learn more about L-Surge at LouisvilleSurge, S-U-R-J dot org. Now, coming up on Wednesday, it's one of the midweek nature walks taking place every Wednesday in August at Bernheim Forest down in Claremont, Kentucky. They're in the morning for you early birds from 9 a.m. to 10.30. Summer mornings are often the coolest part of the day, and Bernheim is extra lovely in softer morning light. These hikes are led by Bernheim staff and volunteer naturalists each Wednesday through September 8th. Please dress for the weather and wear shoes you don't mind getting earthy. Space is limited for safety so register early and please no pets there is a small fee and registration and payment are due by 4 p.m the tuesday prior to the wednesday walk you can call 502-955-8512 or go to bernheim.org for registration also coming up on Wednesday the 11th from 3 to 4 p.m., it's a Food Justice Reckoning Forum offered online by Interfaith Paths to Peace. Advocates will make the case for investing American Rescue Plan funds in a more equitable and resilient local food system. Community stakeholders who run food businesses and nonprofits who produce food and those who seek a healthier, equitable system will present the kind of food system we the people need. One that provides everyone with access to affordable, healthy food, to better health outcomes, to good paying jobs, and to wealth building in neglected communities. Louisville Metro Council members and representatives of Metro Government's Accelerator team will be invited to respond. Mayoral candidates will be invited to participate and provide their input as well. It's a free program and no registration is required. The Reckoning Forum is a program of the beloved community. For more information, and the link to join, just simply go to paths2peace.org. That's P-A-T-H-S, the number two, P-E-A-C-E dot org. And again, it's Wednesday the 11th from 3 to 4 p.m. online, the Food Justice Reckoning Forum. On Thursday the 12th at noon, it's the next in the live cooking demo series offered by the Organic Association of Kentucky and the Kentucky Farm Share Coalition, this free virtual chef demo with Chef Tanya Whitehouse from the Food Connection at noon on Thursdays and feature great tips and recipes for using seasonal produce
Juice this Thursday, August 12th at noon. It's Garnish That Dish. Chef Tanya will show off simple recipes for quick pickling, pesto, oh, the basil is booming right now, and other garnishes and toppings. Again, it's online at noon. You can learn more at RSVP at oak-ky.org slash consumer hyphen events oak-ky.org slash consumer dash events now coming up on saturday there is so much going on for sustainability on august 14th you won't want to miss it and you can maybe nearly cram all of it in starting at 9 a.m and the university of louisville's schneider hall there's going to be a class on recycling nature paper making workshop from nine to noon on saturday the waterfront botanical gardens invites you to roll up your sleeves for this introductory paper making workshop where you will create unique sheets of western style paper with molds and decals and a variety of fibers the history of paper making and its contemporary uses as an art making material will also be discussed be prepared to have fun and make sheets of paper that can be used for drawing painting printmaking and 3d constructions your instructor is the amazing rachel single one of my favorite professors of art at the university of louisville her research focuses on printmaking paper making and book arts and she is super into sustainability there's a recent uh, article about her using invasive species as the source of fiber for her paper making you won't want to miss this great class offered through the waterfront botanical gardens you can learn more and register at waterfrontgardens.org again it's saturday at uofl from noon to 2 p.m in schneider hall but you got to register at waterfrontgardens.org now, if just getting outside and playing around with turtles sounds more your speed, then this Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon, go to the Louisville Nature Center and join them for this uh, Totally Turtles program. You can see live turtles, learn about different turtle species, and enjoy a guided hike through the Beargrass Creek State Nature Preserve. Children are $5 uh, up to the age of 12, and adults are free. Uh, there's a limit of two adults per child to register. Go to the website, louisvillenaturecenter.org, and look for the Totally Turtles program on Saturday, August 14th, 10 a.m. to noon at the Louisville Nature Center on Illinois Avenue. Also on Saturday at 10 a.m. to noon, out in Bernheim again, it's For the Love of Trees, Interesting Trees of the Arboretum. If you love trees, this series is for you. Bernheim Arboretum, of course, is a special place for many, but especially for those who love the company of trees. Staff and volunteers at Bernheim put in hours planting and caring for trees and researching them. They also love sharing stories. Horticulture Director Renee Firth loves talking about trees join her for a fascinating stroll from the garden pavilion to the sun and shade area advanced registration and payment is required by 4 p.m friday you can do so at bernheim.org that's b-e-r-n-h-e-i-m.org now, also, Saturday the 14th from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the African American Heritage Center, uh, 1701 West Muhammad Ali Boulevard. It is the first annual Marcus Garvey Day Festival and Black Market Celebration. Please join Self Esteem Incorporated for an upcoming family-friendly event. This first annual Marcus Garvey Day Festival and Black Market Celebration is a fundraising effort. Uh, admission cost is donation only, and it is an education 
educational event to raise money for the school. Educational speakers and entertainment will be both inside the center and outside with vendors and food. Self-Esteem Incorporated is a nonprofit organization that specializes in self-esteem training for adult women and youth. Keynote speakers for this educational event will include Senator Gerald Neal, State Representative Reginald Meeks, Dr. Reverend Kevin Cosby, President of Simmons College, Manny Jones, civil rights activist, Ann Wagner, also civil rights activist, Barbara Boyd, President of Asala, Gracie Lewis, civil rights activist and Kentucky Alliance board member, Alan Benson, author of Stand Up, message to the black man. Dwayne Campbell, author of From Preschool to Penitentiary. Rhonda Mathis, a civil rights activist. Tamika Palmer, mother of Breonna Taylor. And Dr. Umar Johnson, a black school psychologist, author, and lecturer. Ricky Jones will also be there from UofL. And much more. To RSVP, you can call 502-873-6301 and you can learn more and donate at selfesteeminc, that's I-N-C, dot org. And again, it's out at the African American Heritage Center, 11 a.m. to 5 on Saturday. Also on Saturday from noon to 5. All right, you can't do it all. You're going to have to choose, my friends. But there is a bi-local fair taking place at the Louisville Water Tower Park at 3005 River Road. After a missed year due to the pandemic, the Louisville Independent Business Alliance, LIBA, is pleased to announce the return of its annual bi-local fair on Saturday from noon to 5 out at Louisville Water Tower Park. Admission is free, as is bicycle parking. But if you choose to drive, you'll have to pay 8 at the gate for parking. The fair will include booths from local businesses, artists, and craftspeople, community organizations, and farmers. You can enjoy food vendors in the shaded four-peg smokehouse and bar dining tent, local libations in the value market craft beer and Heaven Hill bourbon tent, and music provided by the Abbey Road on the River's Beatlemania DJ Kim Suarez. Attendees are encouraged to bring your own bottle to fill with free Louisville Pure Tap, Trash truckers will be on hand to help guests sort their trash, recycling, and compost, and to make the fair a low-waste event. For more information, visit keeplouisvilleweird.com slash buylocalfair. But you can just show up on Saturday the 14th. It's free from noon to 5 out at the Louisville Water Tower Park, 3005 River Road. Now, Saturday is also the continuation, the second day in a long series of tenant organizing trainings, collectivizing our struggles, taking place at various locations around Kentucky and online every Saturday from 2 p.m. to 3.30 p.m. In collaboration with tenant-led organizations across the state, Kentucky Tenants, a project of Root Cause Research Center, launched a tenants organizing training series on August 7th with trainings hosted in various locations across the state and with options to call or zoom in on Saturdays from 2 to 3.30. The series is hosted by the Bowling Green Anti-Eviction Network, Lexington Housing Justice Collective, Lexington Tenants Union, Madison County Tenants Union, Mama Bears of Beecher, Root Cause Research Center, and Rowan County Listening Project. Tenants will learn about their rights in Kentucky, what a better housing system could look like, how to research your landlord, and to launch a campaign, how to plan a protest, grow the movement, and more. 
The full schedule includes throughout August, the focus is on an introduction to housing justice uh, on August 14th at 2 p.m. It'll be Know Your Rights, a training for tenants. It'll take place in person down at the Round County Public Library, but of course you can zoom in online. Uh, August 21st, they'll be in Louisville with Profits Over People, understanding the current housing system. They'll return to Louisville on September 11th for Base Building 101. And the series continues on campaign planning and direct actions, and it wraps up in Louisville again on December 18th with Tenant Organizing in Kentucky. Where do we go from here? You can sign up for this anytime between now and the final training on December 18th. Learn more about it and register to participate at rootcauseresearch.org slash tenant training. Again, it's Saturdays starting now through December 18th from 2 to 3.30 p.m. online or various locations around the state. Go to rootcauseresearch.org slash tenant training. And that is our calendar of events. That's all the time we have for today here on Sustainability Now. I thank you so much for tuning in and I look forward to being back in your ears again in one week's time, my friends. Be well. Be well.